Several critical factors affect patient survival and neurological outcome after an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, from high-quality compressions to effective ventilations and CPR feedback. By implementing a coordinated set of advanced cardiac resuscitation techniques, two organizations have dramatically improved their rates of ROSC and survival for patients in their care. In this series, learn how you can implement this reproducible toolkit of practices, protocols, products, and mindset. My name is Ginger Locke. I'm an associate professor of EMS professions at Austin Community College in Austin, Texas, and the creator and host of the Medic Mindset podcast. I'd like to introduce you to Joe Powell and Kevin Joles. Joe is the Emergency Medical Services Coordinator for the Rialto Fire Department in Rialto, California. And Kevin, he's the Division Chief of EMS for Lawrence Douglas County Fire and Medical in Lawrence, Kansas. Joe and Kevin, it sounds like you've been on quite the journey. You've been working on this complex task of increasing survival from sudden cardiac arrest. I'm sure you've learned a ton. I've actually followed your story and other pub publications, and it's an honor to be talking to you firsthand. I wanna pick through your brains. I wanna pull out the key takeaways from your experience because the experience you have is highly polished from days and days of being immersed in this journey. Can you talk to us about what you've learned about what, you, what you're calling advanced cardiac resuscitation? In Rialto, um, in, our, in our mission, vision, and values, um, you know, we define uh, how we bring value to our community as an organization that, uh, that brings value to the community measured in life saves and quality of lives protected. And so we have to look at that, right? And we have to say, you know, how many lives are we saving and what's the quality of those lives that we're protecting? And to be 100% straightforward with you, you know, everybody likes to fight fire and we love to go run into burning buildings and we like to be heroes, but the life threat is really not on the fire side or the suppression side. The life threat is in the daily cardiac arrest. So we had to look at this ACR or advanced cardiac resuscitation program or this bundle of care and say, how can we innovate how can we increase the number of lives that we're saving? And how can we increase the quality of those lives? So we can't just save lives, right? Because if we're just saving lives and people end up in a, uh, in a nursing home where they're on life support, that's, that's not increasing the quality of those lives saved. So we had to look at where we have the most bang for our buck, where we can save the most lives, and how we can increase the quality of those lives in that process. And so it was through these, this multiple steps, this bundle of care, um, that we now call the uh, Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Program here in Rialto. Joe, you've developed quite the system. Can you tell me what are the exact seven tools in this toolkit? The Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Tools or the toolkit or the bundle of care, there's, there's seven of them, right? And so number one is continuous uninterrupted compressions with a mechanical CPR device. Number two is use of an impedance threshold device. And number three is apneic oxygenation. Number four is head up CPR. Number five is delaying defibrillation. Number six is expanded use of waveform capnography. And number seven is deprioritizing epinephrine. When we're talking about the, the ACR program or the bundle of care and all of the tools together, the, I think one of the important things to note, because I get a lot of people that will come up, come up to me after I lecture someplace or after we talk and say, hey, Joe, hey, Joe, hey, Joe, tell me the one thing. Tell me the one thing, just the one thing. We don't want to do all those things. I want to do the one thing that, that, that makes the difference, right? And, and there is no one thing that makes the difference here. There, there is a bundle of care. There is like the seven tools that we're using. 
and kind of what we what we figured out when we went back and looked at the data, or Kevin Kevin Dearden, our QI guy, went back and looked at the data. We figured out that we went back and looked at the data, and we said, okay, so we're about 60% ROS across the board, regardless of rhythm, regardless of CPR prior to arrival, regardless of downtime. We're about 60% ROS. And so we took away one of the tools and we went down to about 55% ROSC, right? When we looked at the data, we went back and when, when, did, when we missed one of the tools, we took away one of the tools, we didn't use it for some reason, we were about 55%. Then we went back and said, okay, if we take away two tools, we're about 47%, right? If we take away three tools, we're at 40%. If we take away five tools or most of the tools, we're back at that 23% we started with. The magic there, or the really interesting fact is that when you look at that, it doesn't matter which tool you take out. Any of those tools will take that down almost the exact same rate, right? Now there's some confounding factors there. It's not a perfect double blind placebo control peer reviewed study in that as we go back and look at it. <clears throat> but it's very interesting to look at that. Regardless of the tool we take out, those numbers drop almost on the exact same rate. And that's, that's very interesting. Um, so it's really about the bundle of care. And, uh, and, it's, and it's also about kind of the reproducibility of that. When when we did start this um, ACR program here in Lawrence, it was we essentially took what you'd already done, and we 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 didn't have to reproduce. We didn't have to go back and take one thing out, one thing out to see where the numbers went. We we had already learned from what you had taught us, and we just implemented the program. And we went in eight months' time from a 36% ROSC to a 63% ROSC. And we didn't have to play with the one tool in, one tool out. We just we just went with it and accepted that this was going to be our new norm. And having that ACR just be part of our culture is how we've just continued to drive and, and implement it into our into our system and into our cardiac arrest culture. I understand that real-time feedback on the quality of compressions is actually one of the tools. In the classroom, educators think about feedback a lot because we know that the learner who has a coach right at their side, that student can be guided through and kept on track, right? If it's corrective feedback, it helps them make the adjustment needed. If it's affirming feedback, they know they found that sweet spot, so to speak, and they can just carry on. How did you guys get this immediate feedback to the rescuer in the moment of cardiac arrest out in the field? Yeah, thanks, Ginger. Um, yeah, the, the, the importance of, of uh, real-time in-field feedback cannot be overstated. And we look at manual compressions and we look at what we do in the field, we realize we're just we're not getting it done like we should. And so when you go back and look at your data, when you look at case review, when you're looking at how much time you're off the chest to, compared to how much time you're on the chest, you realize that we're off the chest more than we're on the chest. And so there's way too many pauses. Our compression fraction, which is that time from on the chest to off the chest, when you compare that compression fraction, we're really doing a poor job. When you look at the NIH uh, prime, prime study, they defined acceptable quality CPR as compression fraction of over 50%, which means that we're on the chest 50% of the time, we're off the chest 50% of the time. That's acceptable. That's acceptable quality CPR. And I, I pose to you that if we are off the chest for 15 minutes out of a 30 minute code, your patient is dead, right? They're dead. We can't do medicine like that. So we have to improve our compression fractions. And there's a couple ways to do that. Obviously, number one is having some type of feedback. And so I was, uh, I was speaking in, in uh, Indonesia and in Jakarta uh, a year or two ago, and we did this study with about 100 medical professionals. We put them in the corner of the room. 
one minute, 70 fluorescent, no distractions, do CPR without feedback, and then do CPR for a minute with feedback. And when you look at that, without feedback, they were about 13% of the time in depth and rate, in the correct depth and rate, 13% of the time. And I would propose to you that if you're in the proper, if you're in the proper depth and rate 13% of the time, you should just call the coroner and go go do something that's going to save someone's life, right? You should go, you should go save the cardiac, the chest pain down the road and not continue to, to only be in the proper depth and rate 13% of the time. That being said, when we put it, when we put a feedback device, a real-time feedback device, they went from 13% to 47% compression fraction, almost triple compression fraction which tells you you cannot do compressions without some kind of a feedback device. So that's extremely important. You have to have a feedback device. If you're doing manual compressions, there's no, there's no question about it. Without that, you might as well not even do compressions, right? So we say all that, and then we kind of look at, well, how are we doing manual, how are we doing manual compressions? And we say, nothing trumps compressions, nothing. And we go back and look at that through case review and through our data to make sure nobody's stopping compressions. And if you're not looking at it somewhere in your data, in case review, or in real-time video somehow, then you're stopping compressions. And in Rialto, we've really designed, uh, we've written down what our acceptable positive CPR are. All right? So we have four acceptable positive CPR. And I'll tell you what they are, but understand that these four pauses are, we get something for each of these pauses. I buy something. Every time I pause, if I'm going to pause, I damn well better get something from my patient. So when you look at them, we have four acceptable pauses. To define what the four acceptable positive CPR are that, we, that we've defined in writing in our department, they're very clearly one second to place a feedback device under the palm, five seconds to place a, a posterior defibrillation pad, five seconds to place a mechanical CPR device, and two seconds to uh, let the autopulse band size correctly so that uh, it can do perfect compressions for you. And now let's hear from Dr. Joe Hawley. He's the medical director for the state of Tennessee Department of Emergency Medical Services and the medical director for the Memphis Fire Department. And he will explain the science behind higher chest compression fraction associated with higher survival. Well, thank you, Ginger. I appreciate that. Uh, it's a fascinating subject to talk about. Uh, the The folks at Rialto have done such a great job incorporating uh, many different aspects that we'll be talking about into uh, how to produce high quality uh, outcomes with CPR. Uh, one of those things that you heard mentioned earlier was related to pauses during CPR. Um, there's actually some really fascinating data out there um, related to pauses, uh, and that really comes down to the chest compression fraction or the amount of time spent on the chest doing CPR versus the total amount of time of the arrest. And the data is quite impressive related to CCF uh, or, or compression fraction. Uh, and there's clearly a correlation between compression fractions that are uh, above 80 or 90 percent and much better outcomes. So the science there makes a lot of sense. Obviously, the more pauses that we have in cardiac arrest, um, the, the less time we're producing any kind of flow at all. 
And knowing that particularly manual CPR is extremely inefficient and does take some time to build up um, even the small amount of pressure and flow that, that is generated with manual CPR, um, that th those pauses result in pretty substantial decreases in flow overall. So studies that have looked at uh, some of these uh, different issues around uh, chest compression fraction uh, have clearly correlated the need for compression fractions above 80 or 90 percent, uh, including uh, some looking specifically at the autopulse and a, a realization that the autopulse is able to generate actually better diastolic blood pressures than um, the uh, uh, manual CPR that was being done as well. Uh, I think another thing that's really important to realize here is that if you look at pauses that occur during CPR, what you see is that a, a very high correlation between pauses of significant length, and by that I mean pauses greater than 25 or 30 seconds, which actually can have a significant impact on mortality. Uh, in fact, there's one study that shows any pause greater than 30 seconds doubles your mortality. So all, all the tremendous efforts that we put into improving our uh, CCF and improving all aspects of CPR can all be thrown out the window by one prolonged pause. Interestingly enough, the reasons for those pauses are pretty much what you'd expect. It's stopping for a pulse check, it's stopping for airway management, but interestingly enough, one of the most common reasons for a long pause in cardiac arrest is related to the placement of the mechanical CPR device. Uh, so the point there is, as you heard with Rialto, you absolutely have to choreograph and train on the placement of the mechanical CPR device so that you minimize those pauses. Uh, the benefits of mechanical CPR are pretty impressive. But what we don't want to do is lose all those benefits because we uh, took too long in our placement of the device on those patients. Uh, having said that, I think the other thing that's really important about mechanical CPR devices is that um, while the studies have shown that mechanical CPR devices aren't necessarily better than people, um, I, I think you have to take that with a pretty big grain of salt. Uh, they're not better than people as long as people do it perfect, and people don't do it perfect for very long. So mechanical CPR devices definitely have an advantage in their consistency to deliver not only um, very high uh, CCF or, or compression fraction, but proper depth, proper rate, uh, and all those things that are vitally important as part of a bundle of care toward good cardiac arrest outcomes. It's such a pleasure to get to speak with all the guests today. I've read about their work and commitment to the science of improving cardiac arrest management, and to get to hear it firsthand from them was an absolute honor. I hope you enjoyed it as well, and I hope you'll join us for all of the episodes. I'm really excited about the fifth episode because it's going to be live, and they will address questions from you. As you watch these episodes and questions come to mind, send those questions to acr at See you next time.